The Right Time with Bomani Jones is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel any time. Before we get started with today's show, let me tell you about another great ESPN podcast, The Dominique Foxworth Show. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth's podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personality surrounding it, and just about anything else he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we'll talk about some interesting news breaking from the draft that doesn't really have to do with the draft. Also, we have got your voicemails, but first... All right, so this is my somewhat informed guess. Sometime in the course of this week, um, we're going to hear about Damian Lillard asking for a trade, and we'll see where Portland is able to send him. Parker, all that Miami seems to be creeping up in that little grin you had when I said that. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm 100% here. This is the only plan that makes sense at this point for Miami. So yeah, let's do it. So the thing about Dame here that is interesting to me is that there have been, I guess, a few players that you've looked at and you've said, okay, the countdown to get me out of here has begun. Like I believe starting last year, that countdown began on Joel Embiid. Like, I think that you start looking at what's going on with the Sixers and we'll see what happens with Harden and how much better they actually get. But at some point, you got to wonder if he looks around and is like, yo, I got to get out of here, especially if Daryl Morey and his affection for James Harden keeps interfering with the way they do business, right? They just moved a coach for James Harden. I mean, the idea that they got James Harden in the first place, uh, the way they were running the offense at the beginning of this year, all this stuff. If I was in beat, I'd be frustrated. Now, with Lillard, He's been a guy that we've had that clock on, but it's been a little different. And the reason is because Lillard has demonstrated publicly such a loyalty to the idea of staying with the Trailblazers. He has said that he wants to win a championship. He wants to win one there. He really enjoys living in Portland. And you got to remember, he's from Northern California, so it wasn't nothing for a bunch of his kinfolk to just move up the freeway and go be there in Portland. Like I think that place means something to him but I was talking to somebody about this over the weekend and they made a very interesting point about Lillard that I had not considered go around the league and think of all the players that are of the caliber that Dame has been at his best and I don't think where he is now whether better or worse is far off from what his best has been right like I think he's in that zone At his age, I don't know how much longer he'll be in that space, but he's been there, okay? Like, I think all of us would say he's a dude that's going to make the Hall of Fame. He is a top 75 NBA player, and that top 75 list has got, like, interesting sets of guys. I mean, Parky made the list, right? He's on it. 
But there are two kinds of guys that make that list. And it's guys that made it as being like excellent second, third option types, right? Like the Kevin McHale, Robert Paris sort of guys. And that's not any slight to them. Like, I think, I'm not sure about so much about Paris, but Kevin McHale could have been the best player on a really good team. He just happened to play with Larry Burke. Okay. Lillard, though, was one of the guys that got there on the strength of being the best player on his team. Like, he got there on the strength of what he did as the number one guy. And I think he's gotten Portland to one conference final. So the results have not been spectacular. But you look around what the West was in the time when he was there. There ain't never been a year, except for like maybe that year they got spanked by uh, the Pelicans. I think I'm saying the first round. There haven't been that many years that Portland has come up below expectations or in such a way where you really looked at Dame, even though he didn't play great in all those playoffs. You've been like, yo, when you going to get it done, right? But you look at all the guys that are of that sort of caliber in the NBA. Just about all of their teams made some significant move to get him a top-notch, all-NBA type of player to be on the team with him. I mean, even to the point that the Pelicans went and got DeMarcus Cousins to pair with Anthony Davis. You know, like you really go through and stop and think about it. All these teams went and got a guy. It may not have been the greatest guy, but at least they tried. Dallas has tried it twice with Luka already. They did it with Kyrie. And don't forget, they gave up the world in order to get Porzingis. Go look at the package that the Bucks used to get Drew Holiday to play with Giannis. You go up and down. Okay. Who's the best player that Portland has tried to pair with Dame Lillard. Like a guy that they've gone and gotten. They had LaMarcus Aldridge when he got there, but truthfully, they had to let him go, right? Like once Aldridge realized he was not going to be the number one guy and that was made clear to him, then he was going to be out of there, right? I don't think there was going to be any sort of way that you were going to convince him after being the man in Portland to now make this transition into being the number two guy at the age he was. That wasn't going to happen. But Portland hasn't gotten Lillard that guy. The best guy they've really paired him with, I guess we'd all agree, is C.J. McCollum. And he's a nice little guard. And the last thing that you need when you're playing with Dan Lillard is another little guard. Like, you were going to need a bigger sort of dude, that switchable defender that could do some things for you on the wing. That guy wasn't going to be that. Like, he wasn't it. And so you look around and you Lillard, and you just kind of got to be like, yeah, time is probably up here for me if what I want to do here is win a championship, right? Like the thing I'm saying about James Harden and why I feel like Philly coming back to Philly is the only thing that he can do and why this Houston thing, I just can't believe it. You're just not going to convince me. And I do believe that James Harden wants to win a championship. You're just not going to convince me that he's willing to punt on it. Because to me, that's what going to Houston would be would be punting on the chance at winning a championship. They're not going to be there soon enough for James Harden to be a guy that's really got anything to do with them winning. Like, I just can't see this. I saw Stephen A. make the point that he doesn't think that Houston wants to do that, that Ime and those guys want to go in a different direction and building the team, which, by the way, makes perfect sense. Because what James Harden ain't about to be good for is developing your young players. What are they going to do? Just stand there watching James Harden cook at the top? Watch James Harden stand in the corner when he gets tired? You know, like, that's not... Yes, James Harden will rack up a bunch of assists, but so do Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't mean, I don't think James Harden is selfish per se. I think he believes that him cooking at the top is the best thing to do for the team. I think he can dial it back at points, but they're not going to win 
with him. Those young guys are not going to really get appreciably better by having him. Lillard's not at a point in his career where he's going to want to punt, I think, on the idea of winning a championship just because he loves Portland that much. But this is what I personally think is going to prove to be the most illustrative thing when you talk about Lillard. Being a good dude, it's a tough go. It's a tough, 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 tough go. Like, that's what LeBron learned in that first run in Cleveland, where they never really got him anybody. Like, you think about the guys that they added in his run in Cleveland to try to help make it happen. They weren't willing to move the pieces to get Amari Stoudemire, and that would have been Stoudemire before the knees went out, right? Like, that, that Stoudemire is one of the more underrated players of his day. That could have been a big move to help that team, I believe. Um, they got old Shaq, which had a value because you needed somebody who could guard Dwight Howard in single coverage in the post. They had lost in the 09 Eastern Conference Finals because they had to double Dwight Howard, and then Turkaloo and Rashad Lewis and those dudes were just eating on those threes, being 16 and able to shoot, right? Okay. They got Antoine Jameson that year. I mean, that's cool, I guess. But they never got him that guy. And after he left, he has kept his foot on the neck of whoever the front office is ever since. Because if you don't keep your foot on the necks, you're probably not going to do anything for you. I grew up in Houston, and the thing that people do not recognize about Elijah Wan's career is that between 87 and 95, I want to say the biggest move that they made to get somebody to help him was to trade perpetually injured Ralph Sampson and get back Otis Thorpe. Like before the Drexler trade in 95, that's what they did. Like, those were the biggest moves that they made. And it reached a point where Elijah Wan was like, yo, get me out of here. And they told him, you could be as mad as you want, but we got tickets to sell. And what Elijah Wan was able to do was just win a championship anyway. Like, I don't, I, there's a story there that I think is a tad bit underrated in terms of, like, the greatness of Elijah Wan and the fact that he was like, get me some help. And they were like, nah. And then they still turned it around and won a championship. Boom. It's kind of crazy. but. All these dudes in the league, don't ever be mad at them for keeping their foot on the necks of the teams. Because what I have learned in my travels, the thing that people respond to more than anything else in their behaviors, and in large part professional behaviors, except for like a rare set of people who honestly quite often are the best people at their jobs. What they are moving to do is try not to make nobody mad at them. Like when you start thinking about how behavior is governed in the group dynamics around your life, think about yourself and think about other people. Think about how often the decision is made just to stop somebody. It don't even really matter who it is. Just to stop somebody from being mad. Just so you ain't got to hear they whoever they happen to be. Just so you ain't got to do that. Okay? But you get a cat like Dane, and they know he not going to be mad. Right? They know he know you doing the best you can. They don't worry as much. They don't feel that pinch. When you go in there, and people worry that if they don't do X, Y, and Z, it's going to be a problem. 
chances are you're going to get some results. And I don't mean make it so they not, not simply that they don't want you to be in a bad mood. No, no, no. I mean, they worry that you're going to be mad, that you're going to do something. They move on that, all right? So if they thought they're not making these moves, go have Dame coming in there, stomping his feet, making some demands, some moves would have been made. I don't know if they would have been the best moves, but somebody would have gave it a try one way or another. But they looking at a dude that's like, yo, I'm invested. I want to get this done. I want to get this done here. And see, that make people act patient. You know, that make people act like they might got a little more time than they actually do. And now Dame is in this situation where the longer the short is in the modern NBA, you're not finding a piece in the draft that's going to help you win right now. Like maybe if somebody had gotten less slim, right, and they had an actual chance to compete at a championship, you could make the argument that he could help you. But that's the difference between drafting 21 and 22-year-olds versus drafting 19-year-olds. 19-year-olds are just not going to be ready to help you right now unless you have one of the more exceptional cases. It's just not going to happen. It's not it. And so they got Scoot Henderson, and I feel like for the Blazers, they wound up in a bit of a trick bag because if you... If the Blazers thought they were getting Brandon Miller, something tells me they might have shot that pick a bit more aggressively. But people think that Scoot Henderson has in like all NBA ceiling and don't necessarily think it'll take that long to get there. Do you pass up on that? Crossing your fingers, hoping to make something happen with Dame. Who are the people that you could try to make a trade with to get you something that could legitimately put you in a position to win with Dame? But what they do have now is the Shade and Sharp kid plus Scoot Henderson. Like, that's a pretty dope move for the future, which means it's time to trade Dane. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if those two guys look like the future, it is time to trade Dane. The thing, though, about trading Dane for them, okay, whether or not he has a no-trade clause, they have to trade him where he wants to go. Or at the very least, they have to trade him to a place that possesses the things that he needs, which is a team that's ready to win a championship, right? They're going to have to work with him in order to get that done. That is going to negatively affect the leverage that they have. They won't be trading him for kind of pennies on the dollar like what we saw with Brad Beal, largely because Dame Lillard is just a much better player than Brad Beal is. But they're not going to get a we trading Dame Lillard package. Not at his age. Not as his salary. That's just not going to happen. And so in the end, I think that the Blazers are going to look up and Dame's going to look up and they all probably should have tried to get this done a little bit sooner. But it's a bet that I understand why he would make. He liked it there. He wanted to make it work there. And he had trust that the people above him would be able to do their jobs and make it happen. And they didn't. Now you got to go. I bet it's going to be maybe some people who are whining. You said you wanted to stay here forever. But fans are somewhat understanding of that when they know their team ain't got it. Right? Um, I think a great example of that is Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. Signed that extension. And when Paul George popped up, and was like, all right, I'm out of here. 
And Russell Westbrook said, me too. I don't recall there being a whole lot of, but you said you was going to stay here forever, right? Like there was an understanding at that point. Like, yo, this time is up. It's probably time to recycle this, to rebuild it, and then go from there. And they were able to get so much in that Westbrook trade. Like when you really like play it to what it was, they got Chris Paul back and got some stuff. And then they sent Chris Paul out at the end of that year. And then got some more stuff. Like you look at where the thunder are. I keep telling y'all, man, the thunder is coming, coming dog, coming. They're going to be there. Portland's not going to get that. So they're going to have to hope that, you know, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson, that this is the future of what they think is going to be. They had a very elusive chance at this. I want to call it um, 2007 through nine, that run. I saw something once that in the games that Greg Oden, Brandon Roy, and LaMarcus all just played together, their record was 50 and 12. Like they actually kind of sort of had it. They did, but then Greg Oden and Brandon Roy, their bodies couldn't hold it together. Boom, there we go. So this is one of those teams. They ain't really going to get it done in free agency like that. You know what I mean? They got to figure out how to do it with savvy moves like drafting Dame Lillard late in the lottery. You know, they're going to have to figure that out. That's what it's going to take for them to get it done. But step one, they're going to need to get that dude up out of there. They really should have done it before the draft, right? And now they're going to regret that. Unless the whole plan was just to tank out this year anyway. In which case, whoo, Chauncey Billups. Good luck with that. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. All right, so I'm going to talk about a story here that's maybe a little weird for me to talk about because it somewhat involves a competitor, but I think that there's a larger macro issue that is very, very, very important here. Um, so Sham Sharania, who works for the athletic and he works, um, for stadium, he put out a report or a tweet coming into the draft that he was saying that Scoot Henderson was gaining quote, quote, gaining serious momentum at number two with the Charlotte Hornets. When that happened, whole lot of people who get their bet on started putting money on Henderson being the number two pick, even though going into the draft, people had kind of largely settled on the idea that it was going to be Brandon Miller, and it ultimately was Brandon Miller. Uh, The odds shifted quickly. Um, According to the New York Post, the odds flipped at one point with Henderson being a minus 900 to go second and Brandon Miller to be a plus 480. Before that, Miller was a minus 650 favorite 
to go with the number two pick. And the way that the New York Post writes this, minus 650 is a near lock. But after the Shams report, Scoot was a minus 900. So that ain't no near lock. That there is a guarantee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the reason why I bring this up and something that I think that people need to understand. One, Shams is a fan duel partner. That's the way the New York Times termed it, right? So he has a business relationship with that company. They are in the get your bet on business. What he did by doing his job, which is a job that he doesn't really do for them, just to be clear. But what he did to do his job then affected the business in a way that makes people go, now, do I think that Shams was in on like anything nefarious? No, I just don't believe that. I don't know Shams. Like, I don't know him well. I know him well enough where I'll speak to him if I see him. But we're not buddies. We don't talk. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't the homie. But I have no reason to believe that he himself would try to manipulate the lines. And I don't think that FanDuel would be so brazen as to request such a thing. Now, FanDuel's statement was, and I quote, FanDuel is not privy to any news that Shams breaks on his platform. So what they're saying is, they don't know what he sends out before it posts. And that is an important detail because I think this is less so the case now than it used to be. But there was a time, like, if you were a newsbreaker, some companies would require that you, before you send that tweet out, you had to run that tweet by the news desk. And then you could send it out because of the consequences of you. Basically, you're putting out news just because it's not on their platform doesn't mean that their brand is not affected by this, right? So that was what the game was. I bring this up because something I think that people need to understand and recognize the world of sports media is getting smaller and smaller in terms of like the ability to make what most people would call good money, let alone big money, but good money. What we've seen in the last couple of years is an influx in the content game of sportsbook money. And what the sportsbooks are doing is putting their branding onto content that they then produce. The sportsbooks are hoping that this content then encourages people to gamble, right? Now, they put their imprint on a lot of different types of content, okay? So, like, obviously, this show, we've run ads for sportsbook stuff before, uh, but we're not in the place where we got, like, the logo in the corner. There are other operations whose relationships with the gambling houses are much more direct, and some of them are just selling, like, entertainment content around it. So, like, Barstool, for example, is owned by a casino, right? That's who wound up buying them. But I mean, I guess some of y'all might look at Barstool and be like, oh, I'm going to go over there for advice. That's not what I would do. Like, I don't feel like it's an advice place, but I don't consume their content. I'm not really sure. Maybe that is what they're doing. But there's a value to a gambler to information. 
which means that there is a unique value to the gambling houses if they're in the content business for the information guys. You see what I'm saying? And so in our time where people are less trusting than they have ever been, having insiders who work with slash for gambling companies is gonna get dicey. I don't think there's any way to avoid that. Like when we start talking about the consequences of gambling and we talk about like what it does for players and how it affects the integrity of the game or everything else. The truth is a lot of the integrity of the game comes from outside of it, right? Like a lot of it is conferred upon by the media and for the media to do that, the media itself has to be trustworthy and whether or not people trust you, it's not entirely about whether you deserve to be trusted. It's just about how things look, right? A conflict of interest is not about the actual conflict. It is about the perception of the conflict and people who trade in information and getting checks from the gambling people. It's tricky. Now, again, with Shams, it's a much more direct tie to him because he is a fan duel partner himself. But it still applies to all of us in this. Because the money that is being used right now to sustain a level of growth in this industry, right? Money that kind of helped people get through after whatever losses people took in 2020 from the COVID. They the ones who got it. I don't know who else is showing up pouring the levels of money into this. By the way, money, I'm not sure how many of these gambling houses actually have. Like, I'm not sure they're profitable at this point. They just play in the long game, which is its own long discussion about the way all of these things go. But in the end, as we have invited gambling into the front of the house, right? Like, it ain't even in the back no more. Now that we have invited it into the front of the house, we're going to have questions about just about everything. All of it. And it is entirely possible that we're going to look up and find the day where, honestly, we were all a lot better off sneaking and gambling. Like, it was... It was better to have that as a black market sort of thing. You needed people to have to work a little harder to get engaged in the gambling game. You needed to make it a little bit dicier. Now that you make it a little easy and call it legal, now we start getting into ethical quandaries as opposed to, hey, homie, you was just breaking the law. Once you get into ethical quadries, we have having all kinds of subtle and nuanced discussions. And I don't know how long you've been paying attention to sports, baby, but that ain't what we do well. Like that flow chart on when it's okay. I was looking at something the other day where they were uh talking about some symposium that the NFL was having with players about gambling. And they tried to, basically, they were reducing it to some very simple rules. Yeah, here we go. They seem like very simple rules to me that if people follow them, they should be okay. One, don't bet on the NFL. Two, don't gamble at your team facility while traveling for a road game or staying at a team hotel. Three, don't have someone bet for you. Four, don't share team inside information. Five, don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. And six, don't play daily fantasy football. 
Parker, I don't know about you. Those seem like six basic, simple, easy to understand rules that'll save everybody from problems. I don't think they need to do much more than that. Am I tripping? Oh, everyone's going to get caught up. They Every sure are. Person. They sure are. <laughs> they sure are. They, 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 they sure are. One thing that I find to be very fascinating about this current generation. I don't know how these kids think they can get away with everything because they've been under surveillance. They hold lives from the elf on the shelf on up, right? There's cameras on every doorstep everywhere. I don't know how they think they're going to get away with anything, but they dumbasses still be trying now, don't they? They still do. And like to me, again, to me, it's wild that you would even have to explain this. Or this idea, well, it's legal. You should still let them. No, no, it's legal to sell stocks, but there's certain jobs you have where you can't trade your company stock because you have inside information. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to let them do anything. But all of this is before us, and we did not answer nearly enough questions on the front end about how exactly to handle all of these things. And so we're going to look up in a couple of years. It's going to be very interesting. I think it's a tangled web that we have weaved. Because this money, they want to receive. I made that up right there and there. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right. The first, if you haven't heard stories from the environment. I'm Hannah Gatahoon, and I'm a reporter insider. If you haven't been on the internet in a minute, you probably are unaware of the cultural moment that orcas have been having. A recent column in The Atlantic arguing that orcas aren't deserving of this cultural moment only strengthened this orca revolution. To understand why this internet meme came about, we need to go back to 2020 when researchers began documenting encounters between boats and orca whales off the Iberian Peninsula. Orcas were colliding with boats, sometimes even sinking them, and researchers discovered that the unusual behavior may have started with a single female killer whale named White Gladys. Alfredo Lopez Fernandez, a biologist at the University of Aveiro in Portugal who's studying the orcas, told the outlet Live Science that White Gladys may have begun attacking boats as a result of trauma that she experienced, and other orcas followed. Many other researchers who have spoken to Insider believe that it was more likely that the orcas were playing or socializing, but the idea that the orcas were out for revenge took hold online. Now, the orca is a symbol of eco-revolution. In response to the craze, The Atlantic published an article arguing that orcas did not merit their recent status as eco-socialist heroes because in the natural world, they're sometimes cruel to other animals like seals, which is true, although they've never intentionally harmed a human in the wild. But this set off a social media firestorm, with some joking that the negative article was written by an aggrieved seal. All in all, it seems like the Orca Revolution is here to stay. Man, y'all just need stuff to argue about, huh? Just stuff to talk about. Like, we just trying to decide we on Team Orca or not on Team Orca, or whether or not the Orca is on some revolution. Like, is this the place where we are? All I know is this. Can we stop calling them Orca and start calling them what we called them when I was a kid? killer whales like i feel like if we went back to calling them killer whales y'all would stop being out here trying to decide if they some heroes and you would realize they some killers right 
They out here trying to kill y'all. They out here. So I ain't know they could sink boats. Like, I, I, I misunderstood. Like, I've been looking at that picture of Shamu. And, like, Shamu don't really look that big. He could jump out of water. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I didn't realize that they was them kind of athletes that was able to do that. They, like, clowny. You know, I, I didn't I didn't quite get that they were, like, fully on in that place. But, like, from what she was describing, people really were upset about an article ascribing the wrong intentions to what a whale was doing. They ain't no, they're not eco heroes or whatever. What is wrong? This is why I haven't looked at the public timeline since 2021. Because y'all, y'all, I ain't got that kind of energy. I just don't. Incredible rant. Uh, This next one comes from Lifestyle. Hi, my name is Anna North, and I'm a senior correspondent at Vox.com. I'm here to talk about my recent story, The Decline of American Playtime, and how to resurrect it. While reporting this story, I learned that a lot of experts think free play for American kids. That means actual unstructured playtime, not classes or sports or other activities organized by adults, has been declining for decades. That's a problem because kids need playtime to develop social and even motor skills, and having grown-ups around directing things messes up the whole process. But how are parents supposed to give their kids back the autonomy they've lost? After all, it's not really socially acceptable in a lot of places, if it's even possible, to just turn your kids loose outside. But experts say there are some things we can do, from changing the way we talk to kids to combating systemic racism so that kids of color have safe places to play where they're free from discrimination. I got to admit, that last part, I didn't think that's where that was going. Um, I, like, I look back on growing up. And my time was just not accounted for, for every moment. You know, like, it's just a difference. My mama would go off to work when I was a kid. And then she'd come back when she got off work. I was straight. Learned how to cook. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't remember much of it because I don't do no much that much cooking now as an adult. But like you learn how to take care of yourself. You learn how to entertain yourself. Perhaps you engage in a few hijinks. But I do notice that all my friends' kids, their kids are always doing something. And I do think that kids need structure. Kids are better off with order and all of these things. But I do wonder like just how capable the modern kid is at entertaining oneself. And that makes me think about stuff like imagination. You know what I mean? Like just sit around, daydream, whatever. Like you come up with a way, you go up the street, you catch up with the homies, and then you go from there. But I just look and I'm just, A, it just runs the parents in the ground. B, it's also cost the parents money, I'd imagine, in large part. But one of my good friends, I go over and hang out with his family and their kids, and they just be posted up at the house. Sometimes another kid comes over and they playing or doing whatever. And it warms my heart to see they ain't on eight or nine different teams, right? They ain't going and taking tapas classes or whatever it is, you know, just anything. Like I, I had wondered for a while. I'm glad to see that somebody had looked up to this. If I was tripping that like, you don't have to have something to do every day. I'd read another story last week that was talking about kids in boredom. And just that the idea that your kids being bored isn't the worst thing in the world, right? So like kids come in and say they're bored and all of a sudden everybody feels like they got to come up with something to do to entertain them, which I think in large part is a lot of parents basically saying, kids, leave me alone, right? Don't look at me, but they need to look at themselves. Like we all had to look at ourselves and figure out how in the world we are going to entertain ourselves 
killed his time. Like, I wonder in part, and I say this as someone who did not do enough of this activity himself as a child, but like how much recreational reading gets done in a world where your kids are on the clock every day? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's those kinds of things. Like, I'd love to see how that all plays out. But no, your kids don't need to be in dance and in piano and playing three different sports. That sounds like a job, which is what being a kid is not supposed to be. All right, this last story is from Tech. My name is Joseph Cox. I'm a senior staff writer at Motherboard, which is the technology section of Vice. So my latest article looked into something called the com this is a nebulous online community of typically young hackers aggressive criminals and people just hanging out on the very popular chat program discord people enter this community usually by playing video games at least according to the people i spoke to that could be call of duty or roblox or minecraft But once they then join this community, things can rapidly escalate. I particularly focused on the dramatic rise of physical violence in this community. So although these people are chatting online, hanging out in Discord or playing games, we've seen an incredible spike in physical robberies where people will go and raid other people's houses to steal their cryptocurrency. We've seen young hackers be tied up and threatened with an injection of heroin if they didn't hand over their cryptocurrency. Uh, We've seen young kids posing with what look like AR-15 assault rifles and showing off um, their wealth. There are tons of videos of members of the comm being in nightclubs calling out each other uh, by putting each other's names on illuminated signs throughout the club. Um, We just think this shows how you can have an online community and that can very easily radicalize people to conduct real-world violence. And this is a community that most people probably have no idea even exists. Look, man. I had seen this story. For those of you who don't know, I try not to read the stories before we log on because I want to be just as surprised as you. You know, sometimes I'll go through it after it's gone because I need to check a detail or something that was said. But I heard that and I seen this this uh, headline and I'm like, you think I'm about to be scared of some dorks that's on this? They talk about, you know what I'm saying? They out running up on people's house. I'm like, well, run up on me, right? Run up, get done up. The, the 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 dork on Discord say he gonna come to my house. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, come on to my house. Apparently, these boys ain't playing. Apparently, it's a lot more people on Discord than I had understood. It is a wider range of the internet diaspora than I thought there was. These boys up here tired people. It, a biggest shock to me. They they go to the club. Wow. Like I thought we was talking about some incel. You know what I'm saying? Apparently not. Hey man, don't don't be playing games over there on Discord. That's all I'm telling you. They they out here taunting. <sighs> what a time! And you know whose time it is, Parker? Yours. 
it's your time. It's the time of you and yours. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. Voicemails are brought to you by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. The voicemail topic for this week is tell us about a time your parents embarrassed you. Ah, yes. I'm so glad I didn't have the embarrass you type parents. But the rest of y'all, I've heard. Yeah, and, well, we're going to hear some more. This first one's from Jeremy in Raleigh. Hey, Bomani, this is Jeremy. I'm out of Raleigh, North Carolina. So the worst time my mom embarrassed me had to be middle school, eighth grade football, after a football game. I'm a pretty big dude. Eighth grade, I was probably six foot, you know, over 200 pounds. I had a good game, you know, probably took some good hits, probably gave some. But, you know, after the football game, the team is crowded around the coach. You know, we're talking. All of a sudden, here comes my mom running up. Boo-boo. Boo-boo, are you okay? Did them boys hurt you? Boo-boo, are you all right? She comes up to me, grabs my pads, checking me out, pinching my cheeks, doing that whole thing. Boo-boo, them boys was hitting you too hard. Are you all right? First of all, she had never called me boo-boo in my life, so I don't know where this was coming from. But, I mean, after that day and the rest of the school year, I was forever known as boo-boo. People just come up me in the hallway like I trip or something. Boo-boo, you all right? You okay, boo-boo? Man, it was the worst. Love the show. Keep doing great things. Appreciate it. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, like you had never been boo-boo. You're not boo-boo at the house. Now you boo-boo at school. At least you wasn't boo-boo the fool. It does remind me of the time that I embarrassed one of my homeboys. And, I mean, I guess by the end of the story, you'll figure out who the person was. But we had Kenny Smith's All-Star Party in 2013 in Houston. And we there. Buster Rhymes just got off the mic. He wrecked it. You know what I'm saying? After that, Somebody gets on the mic and they say, Vincent Goodwill, did you lose your ID, Vincent Goodwill? We have your ID. Come to the stage and get your ID. And so, you know, Vincent Goodwill was trying to be smooth about it to go get it. However, Bomani Jones says, he's right here. He's right here. Vincent Goodwill, right here. He's standing right next to me. Vincent Goodwill, right here. I just I don't know why I did this. <laughs> I was so wrong for this. I have no explanation for why I did this, but I just started pointing that video. Like, he's right here. He's right here. He's right here. Vinny didn't find it as funny as I did, but he'd admit that it was funny. Let us move on. This next one is a lot less well-meaning than that first story. <laughs> Yo, Bo, this is about, I don't know, about 2012, 2011, and um, I'm a teenager. And we, and my, me and my dad, we lived together, and we had a computer room. We still had the desktop and everything like that, so we had the computer room. And I'm a teenage boy. You already know what it is. And... um I'm outside. I, I was the, the, the friend in the neighborhood that had the hoop, so everybody would come through and just be in front of my house hanging out and everything like that. And um, my dad lifted up lifted up the window 
and just yelled out, hey, boy, you left the lotion by the computer and slammed the door. And everybody just broke out and laughed. And uh, I never lived that down with my friends. And uh, I didn't get dapped up for like a month. All right, though. Be easy. you disrespected him he showed no empathy oh man that's terrible parenting that's terrible parenting and yeah that's your name for the rest of the time in school even though they they running back to the crib to do the exact same thing you the one that got caught Woo! Woo. <laughs> oh, sorry go ahead all right and this last one is even worse off than that yo what's up bro? i just want to talk about the uh when it's time my parents uh, embarrassed me, like you said. So my dad, very, very funny man, very funny man, but had very little filter. And so my junior prom got this date, and we were uh, go doing the pictures, getting all fancy, going out and taking pictures. And my dad comes out and meets her, and he looks at her, and he looks at me, and he looks back at her, and he goes, I always wondered what a girl who would go out with you would look like. He meant that to be funny. I promise he did. I promise he did not mean it to be mean, but uh, you can see her face right now, I'm sure. Uh, and that's not the end of it, because my dad also had a weekly column in our local newspaper. And the next week, he wrote a column about sending his son off to prom. And he described this girl in her dress, and he said, uh, the, the dressmakers had to have started at the bottom and run out of fabric by the time they got to the top. And that's not exactly the worst thing in the world, but it certainly doesn't look good. He didn't name her. He didn't name me. But it's a small town. Everyone in this town knew it. Her parents wrote about five letters to the newspaper telling them to, to cancel his column and get rid of him. I don't think I've ever spoken to that girl since. Not sure whoever would have, but if I wanted to, that door was closed because my dad doesn't know how to be funny. Peace out, both. I have to say, now I too am curious what a girl who would date you looks like. No disrespect. Just curious about your whole steez. About her whole steez. But yeah, your pops. Yeah, some there's some insufficient daddying that took place in in both of these calls. It's a it's a scourge that is dominating. My daddy would never do those things to me. But hey man, let me let me talk to you over here for a second. Hey, you gotta take your stuff back to your room after you get finished. Or hey, hey, you should probably go to your room first, right? Or on that one, hey man. I ain't think you could do that. Right? Like all like all these things. Y'all's pops. Damn. 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 But hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three times a week. Parker Owens handling everything behind the scenes today. Thank you, sir. Also, thanks to our If You Haven't Heard contributors. Thanks to Hannah Gatton of insider.com check out her story on the so-called orca uprising at insider.com thanks to anna north of vox.com check out her story on the decline of playtime at vox.com and thanks to joseph cox check out his story on the violence inside the calm discord service at motherboard at vice.com 
Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe. You are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.